Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Yeah, welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast, and welcome to the Blueprint to Success interview series, Ex- providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practice to navigate the critical points in the elite sports ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. Our guest is a senior associate at Parker Executive Search Firm. Prior to joining Parker, she worked at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Athletic Department in the Office of Career and Development, helping to prepare student athletes for their personal and professional endeavors post-college career. She has also been a speaker at a National Association for uh, Collegiate Directors of Athletics Conferences, Women Leaders in College Sports, Next Level Symposium, Rising Coaches, Big 12, Black Assistant Coaches Alliances, Mm -hmm. Uh, Black Coaches United, Women of Color, Athletic Director Network, and NCAA Emerging Leaders Seminar, Post-Grad Internship Program, and Leadership Institute. It's a stat line, so we're going to keep it going, but now we're going to step onto <laughs> the court. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Stepping into the court. Uh, in the volleyball, she was a baller and competed as a four-year starter at UCF Women's Volleyball Team and helped lead the team to its first American Athletic uh, Conference AAC Championship in 2014 and its first bid to NCAA tournament since 2003. During her career at UCF, she earned accolades as a Player of the Year, Female Scholar Athlete of the Year of the uh, AAC, and three-time All-American. Let's welcome Delana Jordan. Hello. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, my man. No, thank you for coming, man. You got a you got a stat line on you, man. Like that's a that's a that's a nice bio. Look, I, look. All I was trying to do is just repay the people that put so much into making me successful. Like that's the last thing you want to do is feel like you've fallen short of a goal or you come across as unappreciative. So that's all I was doing was just all gas, no brakes. Like we just talked about, just move forward. Get it done, ball out. That's what Absolutely. we're trying to do. <laughs> I love hearing that. Get to the acceleration plan. Mm-hmm. So we just talk about the highlight, your unique perspective. I'm really excited about this conversation. Just your natural, my natural inclinations and just talent acquisition to learn more about the volleyball process and the blueprint that you followed. What would you tell your 16-year-old self going through the recruiting process, knowing everything that you know now, even from the standard just talent acquisition standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great question because especially nowadays when you think about all of the factors and considerations that a prospective student athlete has to consider uh, when they're making a decision, it's so many people in your ear, it's so many things that are going on. Um, as I was going through my recruiting process, the volleyball club that I played for here in Georgia, A5, um, is one of the biggest clubs out there. We're constantly having girls go to power fives, you know, division Two, division three, it doesn't really matter wherever you see yourself going, but our bread and butter was really pumping out power five volleyball players. And so that was a lot of pressure because I didn't even start playing volleyball until I was 16. So I'm already kind of late to the game. I'm trying to make a name for myself, but also trying to not get caught up in the hype of everything. Like one thing that 
Um, I think a lot of people that know me, I always laugh, but I'm very much a, you know, if you wasn't with me shooting in the gym, Mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to like see myself really building with someone because I really need people that see the potential and want to invest in you from there. And so um, during my recruiting process, starting at 16, you obviously had a lot that you had to develop very quickly. So there's a difference between the interest letters that you're getting as soon as you step on the court versus once you get your footwork together, you're on a really good team. Now people are really starting to see you. And so that was really hard for me of thinking, do I really want to go to this big time program or what exactly am I trying to get out of my experience? And so I wouldn't change my decision for anything in the world. As you mentioned, I worked at Michigan State. I worked at Wisconsin. My husband played football at Wisconsin. My best friend played volleyball at Wisconsin. Like I was around really big time athletes and I know the experiences that they've had. But one thing that I would tell 16 year old self is just continue to stay confident in the decisions that you make, because I think it's so easy for you to feel like it's a really good decision and then for someone from the peanut gallery to come in and say, well, I think you should have thought about this school or, you know, what about the coaching staff here or what about the exposure that this conference can get you? If you're a really good player, you're going to get seen regardless. Like even as you named my accolades, the other thing for those that know volleyball is it's incredibly, incredibly hard for a middle blocker to get player of the year. Like the amount of respect that the coaches in the league had for my game. I mean, that was like the greatest compliment I could ever get. So when you're trying to block out all the haters, as they say, like it's just make your decision and whatever you decide to do, stick with it. And I think so far I've done a really good job of just kind of being true to who I am and just going forward with what I feel like is the best decision for me. Um, But I know that there were some times where even when I was at UCF, um, a lot of my friends that I had played with were transferring from their schools. And it's no secret, but they were all going to Georgia. And with me being from Georgia, and then you're talking to your friend, because we know how under the table recruitment goes sometimes. And Uh, my friends are like, you know, Delena, we're all going to transfer back to Georgia. I know they have another scholarship. And I'm like, ooh, do I want to go to Georgia? Is that what I'm looking for? But it was just like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Like my coaches have delivered on everything they said they were going to deliver for me. And that wasn't even at the end of my career. That was from the beginning. Like even as a freshman, I got freshman of the year. Like, you know, like I was still getting accolades and things of that nature. So you've just really got to make sure that you're solid in the investment that you're making and you know what the return on that investment is going to be because of how genuinely you believe in what people are telling you. So anyway, that's a long-winded answer, but that's the number one thing I would tell myself back then is just stay confident in the decisions that you're making and everything will fall into place as it should. Staying confident in the decisions that you're making, that's important because there's a level of knowing, you have to know yourself, right? To be able to make those decisions yes. and like trust a that thousand like, percent. you're not being, you know, flung in the wind when things come because it's like grown, grown adults trying to sway you different ways, whether it's family members. Mm-hmm. I mean, and come from a background in football, sometimes it gets a little hectic. So can school us a little bit exactly. about, you know, just the volleyball process. You said that you guys started on a, a youth team? Is that kind of how the overall yes. prospects so, works in volleyball? What I would compare it somewhat to is uh, AAU for basketball. Okay. So for volleyball, you're not really recruited from your high school. Now, yes, a coach may come to your high school and see you, but you have to think about the thousands of girls that play volleyball. Yeah. So where we usually find our recruitment 
um, strategies come from is uh, through the travel portion of volleyball, which is called club. So there's clubs all over the nation. And what they do is they play a national qualifier. So what you're trying to do is build a resume for your team win one of these qualifiers and then go compete, whether it's AAU down in Orlando at the ESPN Wild Water Sports, or they used to call it the Junior Olympics back in the day. I don't know what they call it now. We used to call it JOs, but you would earn your bid and then you would go compete nationally against other teams across the United States. So A5 um, was one of the top clubs in Atlanta. We were one of the top clubs in the Southeast and then one of the top clubs nationally. So because volleyball wasn't as great as it is now in the South, we were constantly flying across the country. So I played in Baltimore. I played in Denver. We played in Louisville. I mean, we were all over the country. And even after I was done playing, I mean, girls were playing in LA. They were playing in Anaheim. I mean, just seeing places that as a kid, you just never imagined you would ever see. Um, and so anyway, when you go into the recruitment process, the first time you're really going to get that exposure is at one of these tournaments. And so coaches will see you. They may talk to your club coach about, you know, what kind of school is she interested in? Who's talking to her? Because as you know, during certain times, coaches can't really interact directly with you. So then when those coaches see you, they may see, uh, send you a letter of interest. So this is saying like, hey, Delana, we saw you at this tournament. We'd love to get to know you better. Maybe they invite you to a summer camp that they're having, whether it's a position camp or something like that. So they're slowly trying to build this relationship with you in terms of where do you really see yourself and where do you want to go? This is the club For teams me, doing that this? was the club, te- the club teams. Oh. Yeah. So you're the club teams, well, your college coaches are interacting with your club it, coaches. Very rarely do they come to your high school. And I don't know if it was just mine. No offense to Peace Ridge, but our high school team was not good. Yeah. So there's really no investment for a a coach, a college coach to come see my high school play. But when you're in the gym with other girls, like on my 18s team, we had a girl go to Michigan. We had a girl go to Middle Tennessee. We had a girl go to Wake Forest or a girl go to Georgia. Everybody was going to pretty big time programs from a volleyball standpoint. So all these coaches are essentially huddled around your court. So then the more notoriety you get as a club, they flock to it because they know where the top girls are coming from. So even at A5, for example, I grew up going to Georgia Tech games. So a lot of the girls from A5, if they were staying more local, they were usually going to Georgia Tech. Now they've spread it out a little bit to now they're going to Georgia and things of that nature. But it's kind of like a whole circuit, if I would say. So the same thing, like, um, I know you're a football background. So football's tough because you guys have like seven on sevens and like yeah. that's where coaches are coming to see exactly. you. Exactly. We had a, we had but, a guest earlier, uh, Moby. Uh, he was a soccer player, but he had like this kind of similar where they mm-hmm. had like a junior program, like our, I can't call it an apprenticeship, but like. Yeah, like, it's just a travel program. Travel program. Yeah. Like, he got picked up like 14 to go play in uh, like the IMG team yeah. or whatever the case may be, but like other sports. And we just talk about talent acquisition since you're an expert in talent acquisition and in the professional, like everything's going to talk about is going to have a little bit of spin on the talent acquisition process. So that's kind of interesting to me when we're talking mm-hmm. about these top club programs. So how early do they start identifying, I guess the top volleyball girls? Cause I would think like football, like physical attributes matter in volleyball, right? Cause I, at Penn state, when I was yes. there, those, they, those girls won a hundred <laughs> games and they were, they were tall. So like they had to be finding, yeah, you know, yeah. like the measurement uh, minimums and all that good stuff. So, so how did they do that? 
Right. I mean, it gets early and earlier. Like, I mean, like I said, I didn't start playing until 16. Okay. So I don't really know when you start getting those letters. Um, I do know that now some girls are getting recruited as early as eighth grade in terms of like we see the potential there. Um, now, that can be tricky because you never know exactly how tall a girl is going to were get. Were you tall at so, 16? I mean, my family's. Yeah. So you got I recruited because so you were tall? I was tall? probably about 5'11". You think you got recruited? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, no, because... I mean, that's a, that's an attribute of it. Like you have to be tall to play volleyball. Um, but I think what it really comes down to is more of your skill set. So for a middle blocker, exactly like you were talking about at Penn State, Big Ten volleyball, everybody's really big. Like you're seeing girls that are six, five, six, 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 seven. Um, but for me, I'm actually undersized for my position at six, one. But what I was really good at is I had the buttons, so I could jump really high. And laterally, I was very quick. So as a middle blocker, you have to go both directions. You have to be able to anticipate. You're really digesting a lot of information very quickly. Um, the other thing about a middle is that your whole job is to hold the opposing middle just long enough so you can even give your pin hitter, so an outside or a right side, time to get to the ball and just open up holes for them. So all you're trying to do is just kind of be a distraction. Now, obviously, you're contributing to the offense as well. Um, one distinction I'll say is I'm more of a middle hitter. I'm not necessarily a middle blocker. Now, obviously, I have to block as a part of volleyball. Yeah. But I was an offensive middle. So a lot of my skill set came from how quick I was getting to the ball, how fast I was getting in the air. And I mean, quite frankly, how other teams had to respect me. Sometimes you'll play against a team where, Justin, I'm just going to be real with you, their middle's yeah. not good. So I'm not concerned if she gets set. And even if she does get set, I'm not concerned. Like, she's not going to take over right. a game where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to stop the other middle. At UCF, the reason why we were so successful my senior year especially, is because we ran a middle-dominant offense, which meant everything flowed through the middle. That's your fastest attack. So if you have to be prepared for a really fast middle on top of two really fast outsides, you're completely stressing the defense at every opportunity. So the more offensive options you're able to have, people just can't anticipate where the ball's going. They literally have to watch the play play out. So based on the program you're going to, your skill set is going to be more important. For Big Ten, yeah, they're looking for bigger girls because they're, you know, got to block more. For a mid-major, they may be looking for a faster, springier middle because you can run a faster tempo offense. So it really just depends on the program. Same thing like football. So, if I'm a wide like receiver and we yeah. wear a pro style, that's not going to work. I'm not going to work in that offense. You know what I'm saying? So that's where... You know that kind of comes. Oh, into that's play. a great answer. I mean, it is exactly like football. Even when we, I mean, when I was at the XFL, and we used to count plays because we wanted to have a, a paced uh, game. We used UCF's offense as a measuring stick to like yep. to, they get on the play <laughs> clock like every fifteen seconds. I'm like, man, they're going fast. And like and to your point, like their their players were Southern Florida kids that were fast, speedy guys that kind of matched yep. up, and that's like. It was different than up north. So that's a great point. Yeah. Well, and exactly like you said, I mean, we were a really fast team, even serving. Like our coach, like some girls, they go back, they're bouncing the ball a million times, they're getting set. We were, as soon as the whistle blows, right. serve. 
So that stresses defenses because, or I guess offenses from that perspective because they're in serve-receive. Um, but they're trying to get their play set up. So, okay, if we get this ball, then we're going to run this play. So it may be a crossing play. It may be whatever. But if you serve it so fast that they can't get set up, it's always stressing them. So that was something we were really key on as well at UCF is just being a really fast Man, team. I love that. So still stick with the club team because I think it's just interesting when I hear other sports because I love the setup of other sports because it kind of separates who's mm -hmm. serious about the sport, right? When you play football, you go to a high school, you can – participate if you want to be a cool kid or whatever the case may be like but what you're saying if you want to play volleyball at a serious level you have to get onto this a5 team in that area or whatever that yeah you have to you have to like very very rarely am i finding someone that did not play club and only got recruited from high school that just what's the process happen. to get into one of the on the to one of those club teams what's that trial process like so, I mean, it's a, it's a tryout process. Um, depending upon the club that you're in, it's really intense. I mean, girls are working their butts off to make the top team. So depending upon how many coaches your club carries and how many teams they have designated for each age group. So most teams, they'll have at least three. So you'll have an 18 ones and 18 twos and 18 threes kind of concept. So your ones should ideally be your best players in the club, then your twos and then your threes. So no one's bad. That's not what I'm saying, but it's just... As you're getting to that level, that's how you're really separating. A one team is probably going to play more national qualifiers. So they're really traveling around. A three team may still do that, but they're not necessarily going as far because it's like, well, what is the likelihood of exposure that these girls are going to get? Are these coaches even going to be at the tournaments that we're going to? Or you can be strategic just from an exposure standpoint. Not all of our teams have to be at the same tournament. Some of them could go to a tournament in the Southeast. We could go up North. Somebody could go to the Midwest. So no matter where you are, everybody's getting a little dose of what A5 has to offer. So you're like, man, this is the same A5 team that I saw in Louisville. And I saw that A5 team in Nashville. So now you're starting to get a feel for the culture of the program, the discipline. I mean, you can see by the way girls are walking in the gym. I mean, we were... I wouldn't say militant, but we all dressed the same. Our backpacks were neat. Our hair was the same the way we warmed up. It was a lot of discipline, a lot of structure. We right. played no games. So when we stepped on the court, you knew who A5 was. So would was. you say that the process got serious? Like it was the exact same time when you joined A5? Like like once you joined A5, is it like the recruiting process yeah, is serious like at that point? Like once you're on that circus, the recruiting right. is there. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I mean, okay. it starts immediately. Wow. And so a little bit about my story. So when I started, A5 had created a sister club called GA5. GA5 was in Swanee. I'm from Lawrenceville. So that was right down the street. It's like Grayson me. area. A5 right? was in is. Alpharetta. Um, well, Grayson's in Gwinnett County, but it's a little okay. further out there. Um, but, exactly. but general gist, general gist. Now, A5 at the time was based in Alpharetta, which for a single mom, that's like, I mean, like an hour okay. drive. And I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. So my mom was like, okay, look, they're saying that GA5 is supposed to be the same quality of volleyball that you need to be playing at. So at A5, my 16th year, I think I made like a 16-3 team. But at GA5, I made a 16-1 team. So my mom was like, okay, before we dive all into this, 
Let's see if you even like it to begin with because club is a huge commitment and it's very expensive. That was the other thing that I was super fortunate about is that A5 has a program called the High Five Program. So depending upon the level of aid that you need, you can get a scholarship, so to speak, so that you can play. And my mom definitely ain't have it. So I needed that opportunity so that I could play. So after playing at GA5 for my first season, I mean, I took off and the coaches at A5 were like, you need to be at A5. Like, you need to be around the girls that are actually going to the level. And not to say that A5 wasn't, but it's eyes. just, you know, being around winners, being around studs, they're going to naturally elevate your game. So at that point, I was 17. I had a car. So then my mom was like, well, if this is really what you want to do, you can get yourself to practice. And we practiced three times a week for three hours. So I already was doing that. And then on Sundays to catch up, because I had started later, a5 used to offer or offer kind of like an open gym concept. So it was called volley performance. And from 12 to six, you would go in the gym and you would just work on different skills. And it was really important for me to try to diversify my game and be as well-rounded as a player as I possibly could so that I could increase my chances right. of getting a scholarship. Like if I'm going to invest in this opportunity, I'm trying to get a scholarship. Like I'm trying to go to college because now I'm starting to realize like yeah. I can actually do this. Like I can actually complete with these girls. So I went from a 16-3 team to a 17-2 team to my 18th year. I was on the 18 ones, which was the top team in our club, um, coached by the club director, Bob Westbrook. So you were getting top-notch training. You were around the best girls in the gym. And so that's kind of how that process started from there of just as soon as I even had the brand A5 on me, people started to pay attention. So with UCF, for example, they saw me when I was at GA5. So the amount of potential that they saw I could have meant so much to me because I didn't want people that wanted me when I was on the ones team. I wanted people that saw me on the threes team saying that girl can be something. That's just important to me and who I am. You know what I'm saying? That's a critical point that you even bring up because someone recently asked me like, hell, in the power five football race and recruiting, is it like a sprint to a signing day? And I was like, man, maybe for about 5% of the players, but it's really a sprint to the ninth grade. It's really a sprint yes. to find that next five star that can change your your the trajectory of your of your program. Mm -hmm. Like finding out Michael Parsons in eighth or ninth grade, where you can be the first one to be like, "Yo, I see something in you," because like that makes yes. that makes yes. that different type of connection that you're speaking of a UCM. Well, and even to your point, I mean, as we talk about NIL and all these other things, like retention is at an all time high. Right. So if I don't actually have a connection with you, if I don't actually believe in what you can do for me. Why, what, where's my loyalty coming into play? Why do I want to stay here? So even as we talked about earlier, I was tempted to transfer, but it was something about UCF where I'm like, I just got to stick it out here. Like these are my day ones. Right. So if I leave because I think the grass is greener somewhere else and it doesn't pan out that way, I'm going to be the one with egg on my face instead of just sticking with having confidence in that decision that I made early on. Having confidence and pressing that gas through it, like you said. Yeah. So what did you base your decision on when you got to UCF? Was it like basically that they were the first ones to come kind of knocking on your door? So this is what happened. So no one in my family has really played athletics to a really high level. Like my dad played Division three football, but his main thing was I'm just getting out of Detroit. So whatever opportunity I have, I'm gone. So when I started getting recruited, Justin, I had no idea how the recruitment process even worked. So AAU... 
uh, or AAUs is a big tournament down in Orlando at the end of the summer. So I had gotten this interest letter from UCF and I always wanted to go to school in Florida. My mom went to Jackson State. So I actually had my eyes set on FAMU um, because I wanted to go to an HBCU as well. But as I started to kind of really understand athletics and see like, oh, I could have a couple more options. Like, you know, you just start to kind of get exposed to more things. So UCF really caught my attention because it was in Florida and I, they said they were interested in me. So it was like, okay, why not? So my mom and I actually did a regular campus tour. We didn't even do like an official visit or an unofficial visit. I hadn't even contacted any of the coaches. I just got this letter and was like, Hey mom, let's go check it out. Now, I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster. So I grew up watching Maria Taylor play volleyball at Georgia. So I followed her career of commentating SEC volleyball games. And then it seemed like, boom, next thing you know, she was at the ESPYs, like on the red carpet. And I was like, yes, that is what I want to do. I'm from Atlanta. So I've got CNN. I've got Fox. I've got Turner. Like everything is down here. So from third grade, I've always wanted to be a sports broadcaster. So As I'm researching UCF, they have a great communications program. I like the way the athletic department is building because at the time they were also considering moving into the Big East. So then you start to talk about a program that's on the rise. Everyone's talking about the sleeping giants. So again, you hear this trend with me of potential trailblazer. Like, can you be a part of something that's building? So I'm really liking that. I'm liking the communications program. And so my mom and I finished the campus tour and I said, you know, mom, even if I don't get a scholarship here, can I still go here? And my mom goes, yeah, if you can find 120,000, you can go anywhere you want. Like that, that's a no brainer. So anyway, so I fall in love with campus. It's absolutely beautiful. And I tell my coach, oh, I just took a visit to UCF. And he's like, you did what? And I'm like, oh yeah, I just did a campus tour. Like it was really great. So he calls the UCF coaches immediately. And they're like, no, she has to do an unofficial visit. She has to do an official, like she needs to see our facilities. All she saw was campus. So she didn't like even a see student. everything else. We want- a normal student, yeah. like a normal student. <laughs> so, but that's kind of my thing is that as I know all these other factors and things are coming into play, but being a student athlete is about opening doors to other opportunities. Not everybody has a chance to get a degree and graduate debt free, Justin. Like the amount of appreciation I have to have two degrees for free, that's unheard of. That's only a, a select few get to do that. So my thing was, is volleyball. Okay. I'm not going to the league. I'm not making life changing money. I'm not about to be on team USA, even though I was on the collegiate national team. Um, you know, but you know, in my mind, I'm not about to be all those things. So what is going to give me a great experience, open some doors for me and just put me on the path to like, continue to be successful. And that's what I always focus on is no matter where your path leads you, are you even in a position to be successful? Are you even in a position to make a decision? Um, and so anyway, that's how I even discovered UCF. So then as I talked to you earlier, or I said earlier, then they invited me for a camp. Okay. So then I went down there to do a position camp. Uh, and actually at that position camp is when they offered me, which was like also crazy because mind you, I went from not even knowing that this area existed to, oh my gosh, like they're presenting me a scholarship offer. And you know how coaches are like, especially I don't hold anything against them, but they did manipulate me a little bit because I'm sitting in the office and my coach opens this big whiteboard and it's got like five names on it for middles. And my name is at the top. So I'm like, okay. So I'm in the office, I'm talking to the coaches and he's like, you know, we want to offer you a scholarship. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like that's, that's a pretty big deal. 
But then he goes, but if you don't take that scholarship, do you see these names down here? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, we're going to offer them. And I was like, okay, no, wait, wait, well, how long do I have to make this decision? Like, can I call my mom? Like, what, what can I do? And he was like, oh, yeah, you can call your mom. But they really kind of pushed me into it. But it was fun because my associate head coach, Michelle Chapman, was a rock star. She was a phenom. Like, when I really started looking up these coaches and looking up their background, Michelle was the exact kind of player that I wanted to be. Now, I did get a letter of interest from Florida as well. Michelle had played at Florida. So now I'm like, okay, wait, how bad do I want to be Michelle? Do I want to play at Florida and be like her? Or do I want to get trained by her? So that was a no-brainer because Michelle was the exact kind of player I wanted to be. They're saying all the right things. They're talking about building a team around me, moving into, I mean, we thought it was the Big East. It turns into the American. But they're like, we have to get girls that can compete in this new conference. If you sign with us, that's going to attract other girls to say, wait a minute, Delana's a top recruit. If she's going to UCF, maybe we should start looking at UCF as well. So that's when you're really starting to build people that believe in the vision. And that's what you started to see across all the sports. Basketball was getting players. Football was getting players. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting these big-time commits to go to UCF. And people are like, okay, now, wait a minute. What does UCF have going on down there? But it's like, it's a beautiful location. I'm from Atlanta, so I'm, I want a metropolitan feel, but I don't want to be in a city. I'm not looking for a Georgia Tech. I'm not looking for a Georgia State. I want a school where I can get to the big time, but I also have some separation so I can stay yeah. focused, you know, because it's hard to be in college and be young, have all these things going on. And you're like, okay, what is my task? Absolutely. It's right in the middle of Orlando. And you said it best, like using sports as a catalyst to a career that you can bank on. That's kind of our motto. And like you went through it looking that way. And it's interesting to me now that you I mean now that you're knowing the end of the story, right? That you're in talent acquisition and just that the mm-hmm. fact that you're going through it, what made you uh, research the coach? Because that was something that I used to do like as a kid, just going through the process. I used to, I had probably memorized 25 uh, programs, just like kind of understanding where people came from, like how did they get there? Where are they going? Like who do I need mm-hmm. to be around? That was kind of, a, that was a major piece of my evaluation process. So just kind of like the idea of, yeah, where'd you kind of get that like perspective. Well, you know, I, I think the most important thing that you can do is make an informed yeah. decision. And I think that so often, just like we talked about, parents are talking to you, coaches are talking, like your club coaches are talking to you in basketball, they have handlers. You know, it's, it's already so many people telling you what you should do. Well, that's fine. I'm going to take your opinion into consideration, but what do I even want to do? So for me, it was like, I already don't really know what's going on. I'm getting a lot of like a lot of just even in my career now, it's the same thing. Like I'm just getting so much attention that I'm like, Delaina, like you, you have to take matters into your own hands. This is your decision. So even like I told you, my head coach Todd, when he's like, we're going to, you know, offer these other girls. If I'm not ready to make a decision, I'm going to lose my scholarship. So I think. But the point was. I have to be confident in the decision that I'm making. And in order to be confident, I have to actually know the decision that I'm making. So I'm looking at their communications program. I'm looking at the like outcomes of their graduates. Where are their graduates going? Are they getting connections at Disney? Are they getting connections at ESPN Wild World of Sports? Like, are these leading to places? So I'm looking at all of that because the last thing I'm going to do is make a a decision that's purely based off of volleyball. And then I get hurt or... Worse, you don't have the career that you think you're going to have. So many girls peak in college 
And that's the worst thing ever because you want to go and you want to continuously get better every year. Nobody can stop you. I don't care how much film you watch on me, nothing. You are never going to stop me. So if you're in an environment where you're not getting poured into, you're not getting developed, to me, that's not smart. So even when I was, you know, talking to UCF, and I got there, for example, you know, in my recruitment process, it's you're amazing. You're the best player we've ever seen. We're going to build a team around you. We, we just got to have you. And you're like, oh, bet. Like, OK, this seems like a place I need to be. And then I get to practice and they're like, hey, so everything about you, we're actually going to change your arm swing. We're going to change your footwork. We're going to change. And you're like, wait a minute. What happened to me being the greatest right. of all time? I thought I right, thought y'all right. needed me. So it's like, those are the kind of things where, like I said, you wanted to be in a growth mindset, somebody that's not going to allow you to settle, somebody that's not going to allow you to be complacent. And so as I'm doing all this research and UCF is growing so much, I'm like, this school couldn't be complacent if they wanted to, they can't afford to. So you're instantly walking into an environment where everybody's trying to get better. Then I start getting connected to other student athletes that are looking at UCF as well. So now you're starting to see, okay, well, who's coming in with me? What are we building as a department? So that was the thing that really got me excited is I just really believed in the potential that UCF had. And I felt like I could be a part of, you know, a really legendary team. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to continue a legacy. I wanted to create and UCF allowed absolutely. me to Absolutely. I love that. I mean, I, I respect that 100%. That's kind of how I approached my process going to Penn State was like, want to make an impact. It was a time when Penn State was on a downturn. And, you know, it was like we came yeah. in there and kind of make a splash and it's like it's interesting like hearing like your your thought process going through the recruiting process because it was it's similar to mine like where can i make a a splash like where's the sleeping giant or even being honest with yourself about like who's going to stretch me right like who's going to actually pour into me to the extent of career development who's going to help me get to where i want to go like am i going to get these different things like you said sometimes athletes don't have an awareness like you said where you come into it's like all right i'm not going to do i'm not going to go to the highest level or play professional in volleyball. So what else can I wrap my mind around? And it's like, that's like your critical opportunity in this whole elite sports ecosystem is to be like, all right, that, you know, professional playing at the top can happen obviously. Right. But like, how can I maximize every Avenue that's there along the way? So it's interesting now, you know, coming from where you're at now, how was that transition, you know, from Orlando to from Atlanta to Orlando? Like, how was that from? So, The other thing I wanted to add real quick, um, as you talked about just kind of that process, the other thing that's really key is evaluating the current players on the team because you know that when you're walking into that environment, you got to be able to compete. So I'm going to be honest with you as well, Justin. So I had gone to see my mom and I had driven over to UAB to watch UCF play. And I'm sitting in the stands, Justin, I'm looking at these girls. I'm like, yo, I'm better than them in high school. Like, you know, no disrespect, but I'm like, okay, so look, I didn't start playing until I was 16. What if I don't get better? You know, like, what if I don't? What if I don't get better? I already know I'm better than these girls that are currently here. So if anything, I know I can at least compete. Like, I know I can do that. And that's the other thing I try to get student athletes to think about as well. It's not selling yourself short. It's not diminishing your mentality. It's just being real. Like, for football, for example, you may not even get on the field until your junior or senior year, which is normal. But if I got 20 other juniors or if I got five other guys in my position group and we're all juniors, we're all trying to get into the rotation, only a couple of us going to be able to do that. So I always think that's really important. You got to evaluate your competition as well and have the confidence of like, yeah, I can go in there and I can do that. 
So that was, um, I did want to add that piece as well. But, you know, in terms of the transition from Atlanta to Orlando, I can't really explain it to you, but I've always kind of been okay. an adventurous person. Like in high school, I was really, I mean, I was social, but I didn't hang out with kids <laughs> after school. It was, you know, you see Delaney at school right. or at the football game or at the basketball game, and then she's gone. Like, yeah. we don't know where she is. So that was a real important opportunity for me because I really wanted to, in a sense, rebrand myself. Because, for example, when I was in school, one of my friends used to call me Condoleezza in high Rice. school? I was on student council. I was the vice in okay, middle school okay. into high school. That was like my nickname. But I was on student council. I was the vice president. I was on Ridge Vision News. Like I was on yearbook. Like I did a lot of like really upstanding, like she's a model student kind of thing. And I was just like, but you know, like I have a little edge to me. I have a personality. And so going away to school was so exciting because nobody knows you. So nobody can say, oh, that's not Delana. I, I grew up with her since kindergarten. That's not her. Nobody has a base level of who I am. So whoever I want to grow into, whoever I want to become, this is my opportunity to really shape myself. So I was super excited about the opportunity of just, you know, you're just close enough, like Orlando, six hours from Atlanta. So you're just close enough where if things go wrong, your parents can get to you. You can get home. That's a drivable distance. My parents could come see me play. That was really important to me. But it was just far enough where your mom can't come rescue you. If you're in trouble, yeah. you're going to have to figure it out. Like, And so that's what I was really looking for is that independence to really put myself out there to say, can you survive? Like, do you feel like you're strong enough to be in these environments and interact with the opposite sex or go to class and have to manage all this stuff? Like, are you ready for this kind of experience? Because this is life. And being a student athlete is a soft intro to real life. You still have a safety net. You have tons of support people that aren't going to let you fail. But this is an opportunity for you to really see, am I truly strong enough to be in this world? And that to me was just like, well, we're going to have to see. So I'm going to pack up my little Honda Accord. I'm going to drive to Orlando. And we'll, well just see how this courage, plays out. A lot of people don't step outside of their comfort zone to kind of expand themselves. And now that you're like in the epicenter of the big business of college sports, whether, you know, we'll get into it or just like when we talk about coaches getting hired, athletic directors, you know, Delana's in the, in the middle of that. Was there any part when you were in college where you realized like, man, this is big business. Like when you were a volleyball player. You know, I wouldn't, I think that the one thing I really appreciated about UCF is that we didn't have a big separation in the athletic department. Like when I was at Michigan state, basketball was so big football was so big and I was at Michigan State when football was rolling like they're going to the CFP but just the way that student athletes would interact with each other like I'll never forget I was in the office with a track student athlete and Denzel Valentine walked in and the track student athlete and I were having a conversation and they just stopped talking and I'm like okay so then you know I get Denzel whatever he needed at that time and then I go back to the student I'm like why did you stop talking and they were like, that was Denzel Valentine. I'm like, that's a student athlete like you. Like, what do you, I had never been exposed to that kind of stuff before. Of like, no, these people are going to the league. Like, these people are really doing it. Whereas at UCF, we was just all kind of like, you know, hey, we all in this together. Like, it's okay. So for me, I would say I really didn't, 
experience it being a big business until I got to Michigan State and then got to see it at Wisconsin as well. And then, as you know, my husband, AJ, played football at Wisconsin. So really being able to dive into his experience as a football player at a big time power five, that was like, whoa, like, wow. Now, was there it's, any like, what, what, what was the first thing when you started talking to your husband about like the different things or even experience or seeing it up close and personal where it's like, whoa, like this is way different than well, my experience? Because Wisconsin is that's that's great a like even like the fan engagement yes. how they approach it and football is at football and basketball for that man yeah at the episode so I would say the first the first thing was that uh, my director of academics at the time Kimia Massey who's now uh, the deputy at Oregon State he had helped me get the GA position at Michigan State and so he was okay. preparing me and he was like Delina when you get there you're gonna see student athletes like you've never seen before and I'm like. Like, okay, like, they, they they not superstars. Like, okay, like, I get you. And I meet this kid, he's 6'8", and I'm like, oh, you must be on the basketball team. And he's like, no, I'm a defensive end. I'm like, huh? Because I know the defensive ends at UCF, and they are not 6'8". So at that time, I was like, whoa. So then you really start looking around at the student athletes. Then you start looking around at the resources. I mean, even um, AJ had an iPad, and we're the same age. So we're going through, we're experiencing everything at the same time. And AJ had an iPad when we first started dating from Wisconsin. I said, oh, when did you get that iPad? And he was like, in 2011. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. We had iPads at UCF as well. Like, we did not have that. Like, I was just trying to get a headband, let alone an iPad. Like, no. So then you start to see the resources. Then you start to see, I mean, even things from nutrition and strength and conditioning. Like, even now, AJ and I work out at the same time. We don't work out together, but we work out at the same time. And sometimes I'll see him in the gym and I have, you know, my phone, I've got a little app, like I'm, I'm watching a workout. AJ creates all his own workouts and I'm watching him and the way he's isolating things, the way he's, you know, really getting into, I mean, like real strength training. And right. I just ask him, I'm like, where did you get this from? And he's like, this is Wisconsin stuff. Like, this is just normal stuff. And I'm, again, blown away because I'm like, we were doing that at UCF, but we weren't breaking it down the way you're breaking it down. Like, I haven't seen a, you know, single dumbbell RDL done the way you're doing it. Like, I've done it before, but I haven't seen the way you're doing it. So that was really when I started to understand how much money, how much revenue, because it costs money to get that. It costs money to have the top strength and conditioning coaches. It costs money to have the best OC in the country. Like it costs money to get that. So that's yeah. when I really started to understand like, whoa, this is a completely different level of athletics than what I had originally been exposed to. Then when you started, when UCF beat Baylor, that's when I really understood how big of a win that was. Because in my mind, I was like, well, both teams made it to the Fiesta Bowl. Like, that's that was not the undefeated year. Was that the undefeated year? Um, no. When they were like, maybe. The national I don't know. Championship? I, yeah. I, no, I, I, no, was, no, no. That wasn't that year. Um, okay. Because when they did the national championship, I wasn't a student athlete there. Okay. Um, but we gone to the Fiesta Bowl. That was when Blake Bortles was on the team, Latavius Murray, Terrence yep. Plummer, like, you know, some of our big names. And so, um, but in my mind, I was just like, but both teams made it there. So they're both equal. But then as I really started to see it, I was like, whoa, that was actually a major upset for UCF to come in there and beat Baylor. Because even, for example, before I got to UCF and they had beat Georgia in the Liberty Bowl, everybody downplayed it. Like they were like, oh, Georgia had an off year. That's why they were in the Liberty Bowl. Like UCF snuck that win in. But now there was no refuting that UCF went in there and they beat Baylor. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that was a big deal.
Absolutely. Oh, that's that's definitely interesting, especially when you say that because like you're seeing that transition happening and coming from UCF where it's like not the big business and then you get an opportunity to see like, oh, this is kind of where the resources are going. This is how serious mm-hmm. people are taking it. You can kind of see like, oh, well, if it's taking this serious, little things can get misplaced here or there, whatever the case may be. Did you feel like you had a critical advantage while you were at UCF once you've seen the other, I guess, bigger college ecosystems? Oh, most definitely. I don't think, in my personal opinion, you can't beat a mid-major kid. And the reason why I say that is because if I can do what I'm doing with what I have, imagine what I can do with what you have. So once I really started to understand, I was like, oh, yeah, I know how to elevate. Oh, yeah, I know how to enhance. Oh, yeah, I know how to have these conversations with these student athletes. So they're understanding yeah, you have a really great opportunity here, but here's how you really work the system to get the most out of what you can do. So that actually, to me, gave me an advantage because like I said, it was just like, I mean, if I could accomplish this at UCF, imagine what I could do at Michigan State. At Michigan State, for example, they had one person for student-athlete development for 850 student-athletes. At Wisconsin, we have five. So you're, re- I mean, that, think about the amount of people in student-athlete development. So you're really engaging with these student athletes. You're really building these kids up. So I was just like, as I was understanding the business and I was getting ready to graduate from Michigan State and the Wisconsin job opened up, I was like, that's my dream job. Because if I can get in there, if I can get access to those resources, if I can develop the programming I know I'm capable of developing, it's going to be a home run. I can be whatever I want to be. So that was always my mentality. And that's the other reason why I went to Michigan State in the first place is because I wanted Power 5 experience. I didn't want someone to look at me and say, she hasn't seen it at this level. Because that's the biggest hurdle that even my candidates today deal with. The same thing like a coach. But has this coach coached at this level? Has this candidate, are they ready to be an athletic director dealing with these kind of external pressures? Have they had to interact with this kind of donor? And I'm talking about you know, a number two at Amazon, like right. billions of dollars. Like I don't have to answer to you. I don't have to answer to you. I'm I'm the number two at Amazon. So if you've never interacted with people like that before, the scale up is possible, but it's better when you know how to navigate it. So it's like the same concept of like, okay, I've always been at the cool table. So if I've always been at the cool table, when I meet other cool people, I'm not pressed about meeting them because I've already been exposed to what they've seen. Exactly. But if I've never seen that before, then you start to get caught up and like, wow, look at this. Wow, look at that. And you can start chasing the wrong things and lose what your original purpose was. So because I'm a mid-major kid, I know truly what it means to starve. I know what real hunger is. So now I will never lose sight of my focus, but now I'm just figuring out how to get to the place I'm trying to get to. And like I said, it's all about your positioning. You may not know where your career will take you, but if you're not even in a position to be able to make a choice, it doesn't matter anyway. So that's why I was always really intentional about exposure because exposure leads to expansion. And even as we get into my recruitment to Parker, I'm not going to say that they weren't wowed by seeing Michigan State and Wisconsin on my resume. It would not have hit the same as the kids say. If I had only had other mid-majors on my experience, they're like, wow, 
Look at this girl's athletic career. Look at her academic career. And now look at where she is in just a short amount of time. She's making moves. And that's what people are attracted to. And that's what I'm attracted to when I'm recruiting a candidate. How have you made the best of your situation and continue to climb to the top no matter what obstacles were put in front of you? 100%. I love that because you talk about just like the flexibility of intellect, right? When you talk about like filling in those pixels and like showing like, all right, I worked here. I can work here. I've done this. I was a high level athlete. I worked with student athletes. And like you said, at the different levels and like dealing with candidates, dealing with coaches and different things of that nature, you touched on it where like you get kind of zeroed in on an aspect and like not realizing like, well, if you want to continue to move up, you guys can have to forecast what are those pixels that you have to fill in for that decision maker at that next point, right? Because like like you said, assistant coaches don't do head coach things. Like right. development people don't necessarily do what the athletic director does or that like you know, so like what are you gonna do to position yourself to kind of fill in those pixels for those opportunities that come up so when you're presenting right. candidates and things of that nature. So that's that's a very great point when you talk about the critical advantage well, of and being sometimes at UCLA. right. And sometimes people can't scale down. And that's the other thing too, because think oh. about what our processes. If I'm a coach, if I get power five experience, I'm probably going to become a head coach at a mid-major. Like that's usually how that works. Or I had success at a mid-major and then I moved up to a power five. So that's the other thing. If you have never had to work or be responsible for 850 student athletes and you're only coming from a place where it was five of us and we had to do this, do you know how to scale your programming down? Do you know what it's like to not have four monitors in your office, not be able to just go to the business office and say, hey, I need X amount of funding for this. And they just immediately approve it. Right. If you're in a process where there's a lot of red tape or you just don't have the resources, how are you going to make that work? So that's always another big concern. Sometimes when you have a candidate coming from a really big institution, finding themselves at a place that's not necessarily lower resource. They just don't have the same resources as you. They don't have the same NIL deals you have. They don't have the same donors jumping to create a collective as you do. So that's the other thing that you have to convince a search committee about as well, is even though I have this really great experience, I can do this job as well. So that's always the challenge also is scaling up and being able to scale down because that's a big concern for people is, are you going to get scared about what we have and not want this job anymore? That's 100% true. What would you recommend to main coaches, professionals, or anybody that's trying to fill in those different pixels or show their didactic knowledge or experience that they can do different things? Is that something that you need to position yourself when you're, I guess, going through the ranks, kind of forecasting where you want to end up and filling in those responsibilities as you go along the way? Or is it more of a brain searching thing, like you say, like, should I be trying to look to work at this company or this level school because it's going to look a certain type of way? So the number one thing that I would say is you have to know your purpose. So when I was a graduate assistant um, at Michigan State, uh, Ken Miles, who passed away a couple years ago, uh, was a longtime administrator at LSU and then had gotten a senior associate position at Michigan. And um, when I met him at this um, M4A, which is under NACTA, so it's like a organization specifically for those that are in academic advising and student athlete development. He really took me under his wing and we used to have to do all these exercises. And I used to think it was so cumbersome and I had to develop my purpose. And then I had to develop my vision. Then I had to develop my mission. Then I had to develop my core values. Like he was taking me through all these exercises. And like we talked about earlier is I really had to explore who I was as a person. So for example, if you look on my LinkedIn, my summary statement is actually the exact same summary that I've had since I was 24. I'm now 29. What I've realized is that my purpose in life is to help people 
identify and unlock their own potential. So I tell people a lot of the times, I'll give you the keys, but you have to figure out what door it opens. So I will empower you to get there, but I'm not going to do it for you. And so what I tell a lot of my candidates is that it you it's great to have an end goal. Like you 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 know, I aspire to be an athletic director. I aspire to be a head coach. But what is the reason that you're doing it? Because when you are able to articulate your purpose, your experience complements that. Your exposure complements that. Your thought process, your theory complements that because everything is leading to that. So when I say that my purpose in life is to help people define their personal and professional passion, I've done that in every career that I've had. With student athletes, I'm helping you to create your identity, but see what else you can do beyond the walls of your court, beyond the walls of your gym. At Parker, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just working with a more seasoned clientele. So you want to be an athletic director, but why do you want to do it? Because we all know that the athletic director at Boston College is dealing with much different issues than the athletic director at the University of Chicago. So based on your purpose and then based on how you go about fulfilling that, it naturally falls into place. So for example, when I interviewed at Parker, I was never really on an interview. And I thought that was like the weirdest thing. Like all I was doing was just kind of going around and talking to people. But now that I know recruitment, now that I know talent acquisition, it's not about being asked a direct question and getting a response. It's just feeling the person out. How do they respond to things? What's their thought process? So when I'm talking to a coach or a candidate, I don't immediately jump into the job. I say, Justin, tell me a little bit about yourself. And based on what that person naturally introduces into the conversation, that tells me what I need to know about that person. So I've had a candidate before, Justin, where I've said, okay, tell me about yourself as an administrator and I have your resume. So I don't need you to regurgitate your resume. I want you to just tell me about who you are as an administrator. And I had a person, they told me, and they literally read right off their resume. And I was like, okay, so that's you? And they were like, yep, that's me. And that call went from 30 minutes to 15 minutes because I knew everything I needed to know about that candidate. You're not ready for this job. You're not ready to take things to the next level. You don't even know how to talk about yourself. And if you don't you know how to talk the, about yourself, you said it from the why jump. Why would I said, hire you? You said it from the jump. You talk about staying confident, staying confident in like your decisions, but like from the basis of knowing yourself. And like there's a level of like practicing that from that standpoint, like when you're a professional and like making that jump from director level to executive level or mid-tier up like there is more than just like the tactical things of what you can do like what you're trying to what Correct. you're saying is like you're evaluating like how well does this person know themselves like are they like, in the leadership role are they going to be rooted in what they know like the purpose because like you're being selected by other leaders not really looking for other quote-unquote workers are like kind of the tactical things that you may be able to Correct. do and can you speak to it right can you galvanize people can you hundred percent. So like the talk that the you're talking about. The impact and influence that you can have. That's what I tell people all the time. What is the impact and influence that you want to have? Because we, you know, we'll, I'll talk to a coach, right? Can this you say that one more example. time? Say that one more time, just in case. The up impact and influence that you want to have. That dictates the kind of position that you can be in, the kind of leadership role that you can be in. Because there are leaders that inspire you to go harder. And then there are leaders that inspire you to get better. You can go hard and still not be doing what you need to be doing. 
or every day there's something that's motivating you to do more. When I started at Parker, I never used to read the D1 ticker, which if you're familiar with it, it's a sports digest that comes out and tells you everything that's going on in Division One athletics. But I used to think, I'm so tired. I, I've been working all day. I don't have time to read all this other stuff. But then I realized, Delaney, are you trying to get great at this or are you just trying to be decent? You're just trying to be average. If you're not constantly inundating yourself with what's going around, if you're not keeping in the loop, because remember, I'm not on campus. I'm not boots on the ground. I'm advising my clients on what I think is going on on campus. But if I'm not building a network, if I'm not talking to people that are giving me the real, I can't identify candidates that are going to elevate these campuses. Because that's the other thing right now is that we are in a state of chaos. So if you're not grounded in who you are, are you going to fall into the chaos? Are you going to completely deviate from your vision where people are now sitting in your office like, wait a minute, we didn't talk about doing that. Now we're going to throw away three years of work and start jumping into this area because we feel like that's the hot topic. Like you have to be rooted in who you are and be able to articulate that. If you can't, an AD is not going to hire you. I'm not going to recruit you. A president's not going to hire you. No one is going to be interested in what you have to say because it's already not rooted in the right things. And people can flesh that out immediately. I mean, you need to write this in a book because that is gospel. Because like, I mean, <laughs> I speak of nothing but the truth, man. I still remember my boy was like, man, get into the search for you guys. Listen to Delana speak. And I listened to you at a, <laughs> it was a, one little conference, but like all the different things that you were talking about, like, you know, it's a lot of the information that comes through, whether the coaches get administrators, it's a level of telephone, right? Where it's like, hey, do this, yes. hey, do that. From someone that may be right above you, that your only recommendation is not always the best information. So like sometimes the information that you're saying right now isn't always articulated mm-hmm. that way. So I'm very thankful that you're saying all the things that you're saying because oh, I, think, of course. I mean, administrators, coaches, I mean, professionals, everybody needs to understand that because what we talked about through this whole process, whether you're going through the A5 club team, like you've been going through talent acquisition your whole life from a teenager, right? Yes. So like a level of being honest and being confident. That's why I love like from the initial thing that you said, like being confident by knowing yourself because it kind of shows up in every level of where you're going to like, continue to accelerate your process. You know what I mean? Getting that captain seat. Which attributes and traits do you think you use from like your playing days in sports that helped in that helps in a career in executive searching, talent acquisition, and career development? I think the first thing is just like an innate curiosity. You have to be a student of the game. You have to be a lifelong learner. Like there's never something that you can't learn more about. So for example, um, you know, I, I have a colleague at Tennessee, he was at UCF and you know, me once a night, always a night. So if you have a connection to UCF or Michigan state, we in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was talking to him the other day and he was like, yeah, you know, Tennessee just unveiled, um, Oh, it's, it's over there. I would show you, but Tennessee just unveiled their strategic plan. And so as I'm talking to him, I said, you know, I would love to see the strategic plan and like go through it. And he was like, I'd love to take you through it. We can just carve out an hour and I can take you through how this is developed, what we're thinking about. And to me, I was just like, wow, somebody's going to take the time out to explain to me athletic administration. Because again, I was a student athlete development coordinator. 
I wasn't an associate AD. I wasn't a senior associate AD. So how can I confidently advise my client? And I don't even know how an athletic department works. So when people ask me, Delena, how can I help you? Because remember, I represent my client. I work in the best interest of my client. I'm not sitting here thinking, how am I going to get Justin a job? I like Justin and I'm listening to him and whatever he says he wants to be a part of. If I have an opportunity that aligns with that, I'm going to bring him in. But first and foremost, I'm focused on my client and what their needs are. So and that should even open up for people your candidates that you're talking to that should listen to you even more clearly about the information because like you're not really trying to get business from them or anything like that. Like I'm trying to just give you what the what the codes are. Number one, (laughs) number one, like every when you when you become a semifinalist and then you become a finalist, I, I like to coach. Like my I'm a coach by nature. I played, you know, volleyball. My master's is in student athlete development. Like every part of me is about development. So when I'm working with a candidate, I'm individually tailoring my feedback to that person. Here's what makes you special. Here's what the client wants to hear from you. So if you go into an interview and you don't talk about anything that I just told you to talk about, that's on you. And that's also telling me that you may not be ready for this exact opportunity. But kind of as we, you know, move forward into, you know, how, I guess just the recruitment and just what skill sets you're looking for, that curiosity has to be there because you have to want to get better. You have to learn your job better than anyone else. You're a consultant. How is somebody going to ask you to consult them if they don't believe that you can even give them the information that they need? And so what I was going to say is that when someone tells me, how can I help you? What The way you can help me is by telling me what you do and how you do it. And through that process, I'm going to learn why nobody does it like you, because I'm talking to all types of administrators. I'm talking to all types of coaches. Some coaches are offensive. Some coaches are defensive. Some administrators are this. Some administrators are development focused or externally focused. Some, you know, administrators are internally focused. So that's how I'm starting to tier my candidates. You're the kind of candidate that can go here. You're the kind of candidate that can go here. Whatever your aspirations are, that's how I'm building relationships. That's how I'm getting to know people is by you just telling me about yourself because I know how to read between the lines. I know how to look for the characteristics that I'm looking for. So curiosity is important. Attention to detail is even more important. Everybody has had that coach where I told you toes behind the line. I told you we start practice at two o'clock. I told you to read this before you came into the gym. If you don't have attention to detail, you're not going to be able to pick up on those nuances that really separate candidates. Everyone has a distinct or unique characteristic about them that differentiates them from other people, better or worse. So if you're not in tune with that, if you're not honing in on those kind of things, that's difficult for you to be a really a good recruiter because some people can identify talent. Some people can identify and develop talent. So you may not be where you need to be today. You may be an associate AD. I don't plan to go anywhere anytime soon. So by the time you're ready to be an AD, guess what? I'm still in the business. And now I'm ready for you to be an AD as well because I've developed you over these years. So you're ready. And that's what people appreciate about the way I do my business, the way I represent myself is because I really care. So the other thing is I tell myself that I'm a connector. If you or whatever you want to do, I'm going to help you get there, whether it's through a search with me or not. Because like you talked about, people don't even know the search process. I was working in athletics and I didn't even know what a search firm was. 
So I said, wait a minute, everybody's asking me, where do I see myself in five years? Or you would be a great athletic director. I didn't even know what it takes to become an athletic director. They have another firm that helps search for those people. (laughs) Exactly. So how are people supposed to be in position? How are we supposed to give opportunities or give access to these opportunities if people don't even know they exist or they don't even know how to conduct themselves in a search? So that's what I'm about. Um, so I will say, um, sorry, I'm getting off tangent. So the characteristics are the innate curiosity, the attention to detail, and the active listening. If you can do those three things, the rest of it kind of takes itself from there. You know, naturally, you know, you got to be extroverted. You got to like talking to people. Those are no brainers. Like, you know that. You can't be a recruiter and be scared to talk to people. That's right. not going to work. But those three things will serve you really well because, for example, at Parker, everyone starts as a research associate or an associate. You're just focusing on the background stuff. So do I even understand how a search process works? So before I can start talking to clients, before I can start sending emails on my own, I have to understand the foundation. Like we talk about as an athlete, how many people skip the technical foundation? How many people skip the technical skills? Yeah, sure. You got to kill. That's great. Sure. You served it and you aced the girl. But if your hand is not, if your contact's not right, if you can't control the ball, I mean, just in my hand contact as a volleyball player was so deadly. I could cut the ball in a way that it would spin horizontally so that as soon as it came off of your platform, it's already gone. Do you know what kind of attention to detail you have to have to do that? Do you know what kind of connection you have to have with your teammates to be able to even set yourself up? If I don't get a good pass from my DS or my libero and my setter doesn't know where I am, oh, it doesn't matter how my hand contact is. So that's kind of what I tell people to focus on is get the technical skills first and then you can figure out what your skill set is from there. I love it. I mean, that's what talk, I mean, we talk about it all the time where it's just a level of like, for athletes transition to any space, like recognize the the key cornerstone blocks that you do have, but like have some humility to learn the basics of the new industry, because then you can revert back to your, your competitive nature and mix it all together. Now you, like you said, you have like this dynamic professional that there is another one like you, if you kind of lean into your, your special sauce. Cause like, I mean, you talk about it. Like, I mean, we talk about it. It just, it's an athlete advantage right that constant feedback you play volleyball you go watch the film like that's just something not typical elite people outside of elite athletes do like you don't go back and watch yourself on monday tuesday wednesday and see what Mm -hmm. you can do to get better so i think that is something that's because a lot of things that you're saying like resonate with me highly if you listen to some of the past episodes i talked about a lot where it's like almost a little you know um, i can't say obnoxious but like digging into like the the weeds of like how does this get better if there's gaps like how can it be filled in like the critical points of different things that we got to pay attention to like actually matter so like let's not just say like oh i gotta do this or they can bullcrap because there is a step so we got into the everything where the talent acquisition um we got into the whole search firm process and really didn't make that transition too clear but for the listeners that may not know or familiar yes. with search firm can you give a little description of what you do at Parker Executive Search Yes. So at Parker Executive Search, we are an executive search firm. Now we are retained. So there are some search firms that may be on retainer so that they're doing multiple searches. So whatever search comes up for that institution, you're getting paid as that search comes up. For us, we're only getting brought in for a specific job. So they have hired us to find an athletic director. They've hired us to find a head basketball or football coach. 
The nice thing about Parker is that we have a higher education practice as well. We always have to remember, even though it doesn't seem like it today, that higher or that collegiate athletics plays a role in higher education, not the other way around. Even though, like I said, we don't necessarily feel that way today. So in my day to day, what we are doing is constantly looking for what are the opportunities of leadership that are coming open. So even when you are awarded a search, that can come in one of two ways. The first way being a relationship. Justin is an athletic director at this institution. He likes me. We have a great relationship. He'd like for me to do his head football or basketball coach search. We're working on that. Or Justin is a president at this university. They need an athletic director. And so we're going to do that search for them. The nice thing, like I said, with Parker is because we have two different practices, we are all over campus. So last year, for example, this stat came out about which search firm did the most searches or most most athletic director searches in that year. We came in second, but it was like by a tenth of a point. And I'm okay. reading it, Justin, and I'm mad because I'm like, this is not an accurate stat because we literally did almost every commissioner search you could do last year. The WAC, wow. the MEAC, the Summit League. You're in rooms with presidents. You're in rooms with other athletic directors as they look for these commissioners. So when you talk about exposure, when you talk about building a team, how are you, how much better can you build a team when you know the president's vision? You know the athletic director's vision. You know the conference moving forward. Everyone thought that the WAC was going to be a football conference. Brian Thornton is a basketball guy. And you see the things that he's putting out there. He's redoing the way they see teams in the tournament. He's changing things just from an exposure standpoint to make the WAC a little bit stronger because there are institutions in the WAC that don't have football. So how can we be football focused if none of our schools have football. But if you're not good at what you do and you don't read or you don't have the ability to read between the lines, yeah, the presidents were all telling us what they wanted, but did they really know what they needed? So our job is not to pick a candidate. It's not to push candidates. Our job is to find candidates that check some boxes. They may not check all the boxes. They may check different boxes, but we're exposing you to their candidacy. So now you think, you know what? I thought I wanted AJ, but now that I'm talking to Justin, I think I like what Justin's talking about. He's giving me considerations that I didn't think about before. So that's what my job is, is to go out there and identify talent and bring them into a process. You may not get the job. That may happen. Only one person can get the job. But the point is, did you have an opportunity to showcase your skill set, to showcase what you can do? So outside of already having a relationship with somebody on campus, the second way that you can get it is through what we call a shootout. So what will happen is, hey, athletic director from school A is open. So what we're going to do is solicit proposals from all of the different search firms we're going to assess and evaluate, and then we're going to identify our top three or four search firms and then have them all come in and do what is called a shootout, which is basically a pitch. Sometimes a shootout can be five minutes. Sometimes it can be 30 minutes. And let me tell you, Justin, there is nothing more nerve wracking than a shootout. I wasn't when we were doing the wax search. I'll never forget this. So we're doing the wax search and I'm sitting there. Everything's going well. We have 15 minutes. That's all you have is 15 minutes. So President Jimenez at Utah Valley, uh, or yeah, Utah Valley, she asks the question, Justin, and the word that she uses, I don't know what the word means. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, this is a tough question for Daniel. <laughs> Daniel goes off mute and he goes, great question. Delana, do you want to take this one? And I was like, 
Of course, because I know. So I'm replaying the whole thing. Like, what are the context clues? I'm actively listening. So I'm like, what are the context clues? Like, what could she possibly be asking me that I'm trying to respond to? So, you know, I give an answer. I say it with conviction. I say it with confidence of like, even if this is not what she asked me, my delivery is going to say, you know what? Maybe this is a search firm for us. And after that, we close, we close out the Zoom. Next thing you know, we end up getting the search. So we still had to go out and compete for that. That wasn't a guarantee that we were going to get that search. Uh-huh. So back to your question, we've now been awarded the search. So then what I will do is as I'm working with my client to develop the timeline, that's first. When do we want to announce? When do we want to have our candidate identified by? Because that's going to allow us to work backwards in the timeline and how much time we have to recruit. Some searches, for example, Nevada, we did that search in about a month. Most searches take about six to eight weeks in athletics. So if you're doing a search start to finish in a month, candidates have to be ready. I don't have time to recruit you into this search. You are either ready for this job or you are not. But there are some searches where I have time to develop a candidate pool. I have time to really sit and talk to people and tell them about the opportunity. So that's the other piece that you have to be ready for as a candidate is I know my purpose. I know that next step that I'm ready for. And as I always say, stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. So when I call you and I say, Justin, I've got this job opportunity. I need your materials by Thursday. Today is Monday. So, Justin, are you going to tell me, oh, man, I can't get my resume in by Thursday? That's no problem. You're not a candidate in my search because candidate B over here. Oh, they already sent me their cover letter, their resume and their references last night. So, so that's where you got to be prepared for. So there's a level of so still being merit based. Yeah, it's like a level of being merit like merit based ready or just being ready in general, like as a candidate. Like when things are coming up, it's just not being yes. selected and crowned. It's like, no, there's still like jobs to be done like once like that, the search firm identifies you. Because my next question was going to go into like from a baseline, whether it was a four to six week search, 10, 10 weeks, how do you initially source candidates that you don't initially have a relationship with? So um, it's not glamorous, but yeah, I, mean, I sure. spend a lot of time on staff directories. Okay. So I'm reading people's bios. So a lot of time, what I'll try to start with is the institutional profile. Is it private school? Is it a high academic school? And I'll start from there. So okay. for example, when we did the Dartmouth athletic director search, that's an Ivy League school. So you've got to, in some sense, be familiar with the Ivy League model mm-hmm. because they're operating much differently than an FBS or a power. Uh, yeah, well, FBS because they're FCS, but, you know, a power five or something like that. So when I'm looking at my candidate pool, I have candidates that I've been building relationships with that I'm like, OK, these people are a good fit. But then I'll look at some Division three institutions because in the Division three, it's very similar to that of the Ivy League model. They're still Division one, but the academics, the way you structure things, it's very similar to Division three, no scholarships, things of that nature. So you also have to understand the business model that they have as well. So then I may look at Division three institutions that have had a lot of success where that athletic director may have had exposure to Division one or they may have just had a lot of success where they are. So that scale ability is there. Or I may, I mean, in like Dartmouth, this is what I did, but I went to public Ivies. So now I'm looking at a Wisconsin, I'm looking at a, you know, UCLA, a Virginia, you know, a school like that, where it's like, there's still high academics, they're still really high in athletics. So then you can find those people where 
I'm reading through your bio, and sometimes it's a cold call, which is why I start with, tell me about yourself. Because even also, I'm really cognizant of what is the candidate's experience. As you know, being a minority, a lot of people feel like they're a box checker. So if I call you and I immediately go into the job, but I actually don't know what you do, sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Like, no, I'm actually not qualified for this job. And there have been times, Justin, where I have cold called a candidate. And as they're talking to me, I'm like, ooh, you are actually not a good fit for this job. But... (laughs) Because I didn't start it off that way, I'm now able to finesse the conversation to where I'm getting to know you. We're building a relationship. Maybe this is a good opportunity. Maybe it's not. So I'm just trying to get to know you. And that's where talented recruiters really distinguish themselves because some recruiters are just so pressed to get candidates, they get the wrong candidates. And now your client is looking at you like, what is the, and not and, and we run an inclusive process. Anyone that raises their hand can be in the pool. But if I'm telling you that I actively went out and recruited that person and it doesn't make sense, my client's like, um, what are you doing again? Why did you do that? <laughs> exactly. So that's what you have to be really cognizant of, because like I always say, I don't want any bums in my search. Like if you are not qualified for this job because you're you're a reflection upon me, because the other thing is for our clients. We provide what we call a status log. So any interaction that I've had with Justin is logged. So, you know, 8-1, phone call or scheduling phone conversation with Justin. 8-5, conversation with Justin. 8-6, still considering opportunity, you know, I'll follow up with them. 8-7, we'll submit materials. Our clients can see everything that we're doing. That's transparency. So when they're looking at the log and they see that it looks like I'm the one that was actively recruiting that candidate, that's where you want to make sure that you're putting your best business professional self out there of like, no, I do actually understand what you guys need, what you're looking for. Now, I may have an out-of-the-box candidate, or we may get a nomination for someone that says, hey, you know, I'd call you, Justin, you say you're not interested in the job, but you know someone that you think would be a really good fit. That's called a nomination. Anyone that is nominated for a job, our professional practice is to reach out to that person. So sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't. We have a saying, anybody that's ever seen a ball game thinks they can be an athletic director, thinks they can be a head coach. So sometimes, you know, you just got to take those calls and just say, hey, you know, I wanted to send you this opportunity. You can apply over Got here. It. And then there are other candidates where I'm like, wow, if I hadn't have gotten that nomination, I may not have found this candidate. So that's the other way that the strength of your network really helps. Because when I get a search, not only am I doing my own pool cultivation, I may reach out to Dee Dee Merritt at the NCAA. I may reach out to Patty Phillips and her team at Women Leaders. I may reach out to the conference commissioner for what institution that conference is, or that institution is in that conference. So, for example, um, oh, with Brian Thornton at the WAC when we did UT Arlington, I also had a conversation with Brian to understand this is a brand new conference, so to speak, because they have a new commissioner. What is your vision? What do you feel UT Arlington needs? So not only am I conducting listening sessions with the people that are at UT Arlington, I'm talking to the president. I'm also talking to their conference commissioner so he can say, well, here's how I see UT Arlington fitting into the vision that we're creating for the WAC. So now I'm getting multiple considerations to say, okay, this candidate kind of fits that, this candidate kind of fits that. So that's what you're trying to do is just develop a deep and diverse pool beyond gender, beyond race. It could be uh, experience, background. 
anything like that. Former student athlete, not a student athlete, business professional, only worked in athletics, whatever their makeup or their candidacy is, I want to make sure everyone has some type of option that they can go to because search committees, they hone in on different things. Not every search committee member is voting for the same right. candidate. So you want to make sure that everyone's needs are being addressed by the candidates you're getting into, involved in the search. Because I'd like to say that you're playing essentially like a Hans Zimmer type of role, like an orchestra, like you're not just finding those talent. You're just not matching. It's like, no, you're finding the correct match. Like You might be blue hair, but like that, we need a red over here. So like that's yeah. kind of where you fit. And I'm trying to explain that to whether it's coaches that I consult with or executives that are going for different roles. And like that's kind of the piece that sometimes gets missed where it's like, well... <clears throat> Yeah, I want to help you. And I like this is kind of what we want to do. But like like you said, you're the Hans Zimmer in the middle. Like you're making it, mm -hmm. making all the, the chaos come together, right? Like yes, yes. And exactly that is exactly what it is, is bringing the chaos together. Because some of these searches do get a little crazy. I'm sure. So it is bringing in the chaos and just feeling things. Because that's the other thing when people say, well, why use a search firm? Well, not only is it our job to really conduct a national search, turn every stone over, deliver a deep and diverse pool. Our job is also to take weight off of you. Right. Search is a full time thing. That's why I'm in search full time. If you have to do search on top of your job, I'm not making it convenient for you. I'm not providing a service for you. So when donors are blowing up your phone, don't worry about it. Have the donor call me. If an agent is blowing up your phone, don't worry about it. Have the agent call me. I will take the time to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Or sometimes it's a person that the AD doesn't want to talk to. I really do not have time to talk to this person. No problem. I'll set up a call. I'll, to, I'll talk to them. When we did the Princeton search for their athletic director with John Mack last summer, I probably talked to every single person that ever walked across that graduation stage. I mean, people that graduated in 1960 to people that graduated in 2019. I was talking to everyone because it was really important for Princeton so that they were able to showcase a layer of comfort that everyone's voice has been heard. Everyone has had an opportunity to say why they love Princeton, why they feel Princeton deserves this kind of leader, what they envision Princeton becoming later down the road. So you want to make sure that everybody has a say in the future of that program, because even like me being a student athlete at UCF, you see my wall back here. There's no school I'm more proud of than UCF. Right. So when they're doing an athletic director search, I know how much work my class put in to getting us into the Big 12. A lot of people think it's what they're doing now. No, that stuff was developed back in 2008. Dante Culpepper, this person, that person. It's been a succession. So when you ask me what my thoughts are on the athletic department, I care about that athletic department. I care about my student or, you know, the girls on the team, because I told my coach, uh, a couple of weeks, well, not a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, you know, UCF volleyball has been rolling through conference. They've won conference like four times in a row. So then my coach was like, you know, what do you think about us winning conference? I said, that's great. Now I want you to get to the second round of the tournament. We already won conference. We already went to the first round. So now what's the progression of the program? That's what I care about because that's why I went there in the beginning is to build a legacy. I want UCF to one day become Penn State volleyball. Right. I want them to become in the ranks of the elite. Now that they're going to the Big 12, that exposure is there. They can get girls that can really compete in that conference, and we help to build that. So that's what I think about when I'm helping these institutions find these leaders is where do you want to go and who's going to get you there? Right. These are people that can get you there depending upon where you want to go and how you see yourself getting there. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great point because it's just like you're, you're truly like – 
operating, like you said, in your purpose, right? Kind of the whole thing of filling the gaps, like continue to sharpen, whether it's for your for your candidates or your clients and helping them get to where they want to go, like you said, and the, the whole mm-hmm. time acquisition, career development ecosystem. You mentioned something about nominations, and I think it brings up a good point when we talk about just your networks and everything, you know, as an athlete, we come up and it's like, all right, merit base, you play well, you get on the field, you do this, you get on the court. But like when you get into the professional settings, like there are aspects of your, of your network and your ecosystem and how strong they are, how people vouch for you and different things of that nature. And you brought up something that is interesting, which is nominations that other people give uh, their names to you while they're, they're on a search. So we see a discrepancy in hiring of black leadership across industries, right? That's no, no dropping of, you know, no, nothing crazy there, but <laughs> what can candidates do to help themselves be noticed by a search firm, minority candidates specifically? You know, I think the first thing, I mean, and I know it's cliche, but you do really have to actually be doing a good job where you are. Right. It's not enough to just say, you know, I'm a minority. They need a diverse candidate because like I said, I don't want to be a box checker and I'm not going to have people in my searches that are not box checkers because if you ultimately can't do this job, guess who's going to have to redo the search when you can't do the job? Me. <laughs> So, and then the last thing and I want to do for is another search. Somebody, <laughs> right. And that, and that part. And then the last thing I want to do is put somebody in a position where they are not going to be successful. So the first thing is you do actually have to be good at what you're doing. The second thing I would say is that when you're building your relationships, you really have to be able to articulate what your, I call them your three. So for me, my three are engage, empower, elevate. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to be present in that moment. I'm going to figure out or understand where you're trying to go, empower you with the tools and resources so that you can do that. And then in turn, I'm elevating you because we've now had this experience where you feel like you can go out and do that. So it's not necessarily for a minority How do they stand out? It's really about more so doing the self-reflection so that you feel confident in those rooms because you are going to be looking back at people that don't look like you. You are going to be asked questions that other candidates may not be asked. So case in point, when I was at the final four, I was on a panel uh, and it was for the NABC and it was a bench of men basketball coaches in the room. We had one female coach that was a men's basketball coach. So Jason Belzer's on stage, he's moderating and he, you know, gives Parker a shout out because we had a search where the AD was in fact interviewing female candidates for a men's basketball position. So, you know, I appreciate and I I told him on stage, I appreciate the shout out, but I talked to the coach and I said, you have to be prepared to answer the most ridiculous questions you've ever heard because that's real life. So as a minority, as a woman in a men's game, as a black or brown or other person in a predominantly, you know, white industry, you have to be prepared to push through nonsense. You have to be prepared to go harder than what other candidates are doing. Like we talked about, some of my candidates have a stronger network. They have what I call kingmakers. Mm -hmm. So on your references, you got the top of the top. I mean, you got... Jimmy Phillips and Greg, you know, and Sankey and this person and this person. You're like, dang, like this person must be, you know, really big time. But are they? Can Jim Phillips really talk to your skill set and your ability? Or I say this a lot to coaches um, because they'll always have a big time coach on their references. But have you ever worked for the coach or do you just know the coach? So that's the other thing, too, is that really helping people to identify 
what their unique skill set is, what values, how they contribute to a department, and then helping coach them to articulate their story. So that's what I tell minorities on how they can really stand out is putting themselves out there. Not everybody is a self-promoter, so you don't have to tweet about everything that you're doing, but eventually you have to take that next step to build a relationship. I try to be very visible. I try to be very genuine. I try to be very down to earth. If you go on my Twitter, a lot of people say, I wouldn't even know that was your Twitter. All it says is D Jordan. It doesn't say anything about Parker. It doesn't say anything about athletics. It's opinions are my own. Exposure leads to expansion. My song of the year is Up the Skull by Icewater Vizo. Like that is what my Twitter is. So you're getting a sense of who Delena is because I really don't feel like you can separate who you are as a personal, as personally versus professionally. That's got to be you because when you become a head coach, that's you. When you become an athletic director, that's you. When you are a student athlete, that's you. It's not anybody different. You can't be a competitor on the court and not compete in the classroom. That doesn't make sense. Your your priorities are off. So I, I've kind of gotten off tangent, but that's what I say of how minorities can really make themselves stand out is do a really good job where you are and build relationships with people that can speak your name in rooms that you're not in. Every opportunity that I've had is from mentorship. People have identified and poured into me and put my name in rooms that I'm not in. When I even got the job or even had the opportunity with Parker, I was at Wisconsin and everyone's asking me, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, I see myself here. This is my first full-time job. I'm just trying to focus on doing a good job where I am. That's my focus right now. And with um, Wisconsin at the time, they were a Learfield property. And I just happened to meet the CFO from Learfield. I just happened to meet, he was just walking down the hallway. And I meet him, I have a conversation with him. And later he tells me to apply for the Learfield Minority Academy. And what that is, is a professional development opportunity. They bring you down to their headquarters. They basically do a three-day intensive deep dive into everything that is college athletics, corporate sponsorships, licensing, all this kind of stuff. And then you go and shadow at one of their sports properties so you can see what they told you in theory and then how they're doing it in practice. So I'm 24 and he has told me to apply for this opportunity. I said, they are not going to pick me. All these people that are going to apply for this opportunity, no. I don't even have the experience to be in that you know, category. And my friend told me, Delana, the CFO is the one that told you to apply. So why would you not listen to the CFO? And I was like, oh, I guess you're right. So then I get, you know, I get my little packet together. I send it in. I end up getting selected. And through that exposure opportunity, I expanded my horizon of athletics. I didn't even know search firms existed. Now I'm sitting in a room with a panel full of search firms and I'm listening to them. And I'm like, wait a minute. This sounds interesting. This sounds like something I want to be a part of. Then, as they always say, if you really want to stand out during a panel, just ask a really good question. So the whole time I'm listening to the panel, but I'm thinking about what question am I going to ask that person from Parker? Because they're from Atlanta and I'm from Atlanta and there's no better feeling than finding an opportunity that takes you back home. So I ask my question and then later we maybe talk for about five minutes. It's not even a really long conversation. And all I said is when I come down or when we have a winter break, I would love to come down and just shadow what you guys do. 
So from there, you know, I learned about that's also where I was exposed to talent acquisition. Nicole Brittenreicher, who is now at the NBA, was in talent acquisition at Learfield. So she's telling me about the work she's doing. I'm starting to kind of learn a little bit more. I'm like, okay, this seems like something I could be interested in doing. So I'm doing more research. I go back to Wisconsin. I completely forget that conversation ever happened. I'm focused on doing a good job. Six months later, like clockwork, I get a phone call from that Parker representative. And he's like, hey, Delena, I was just following up with you. And I'm like, who is this? And he's like, Delena, it's so-and-so. I'm following up with you to see if you're still coming down for winter break. And I was like, oh, no, Madison's been hit with a huge snowstorm. I'm not going to be able to make it down. I'm sorry. And he goes, oh, okay, well, we have this job and I'd like for you to apply. What? I only had a five-minute conversation with you six months ago. There's no way you're now inviting me to apply for this job. So I call my mentors and I'm like, what do you guys think? I mean, I went to grad school for this. I got a great job at Wisconsin. I'm a little nervous about even entertaining something that's essentially taking me out of the business. But what really pushed me to investigate it or explore it is that UCF had actually done both of the athletic director search, or sorry, Parker had done both of the athletic director searches for UCF. The first one, when I was a student athlete with Todd Stansbury, who's now at Georgia Tech, the second one with Danny White, who started after I graduated, who's now at Tennessee. Both of them are really great leaders in different ways. Todd was really great at making great departmental culture. Every staff member poured into us. They wanted us to be great. They brought us in and they showed us what we could aspire to be. Almost every kid that was involved. So when I say in every kid, I mean involved in the athletic department, but a lot of people that graduated with me now work in athletics to some capacity on campus because we always talk about we don't have enough former student athletes in athletics. Our department was intentional in getting kids developed and helping them find those opportunities. You would be amazed how many people work in athletics and are not helping their student athletes get into their industry. That's crazy I mean, it's, to me. It, it is crazy. Mind, this is yeah. your job. <laughs> Like, this is your job. This is what you do. You can't help me do what you do. That's crazy. So I'm listening to that. And I'm like, man, like Todd was a really great athletic director. Like he was a really good athletic director. Then I'm looking at Danny. Danny has, we are going to the big 12 because of Danny. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking at that and I'm like, I got to see firsthand what transformational leadership looks like on a campus. So I'm already thinking that campus really is not the environment for me. Like, I'm already like, I don't really know if, if, I, if I can bleed red yeah. and white. Like, I like the Badgers, but I'm not going <laughs> to die for them. I'm going to be real with you. I'm not going to die for them. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what are other avenues that you can explore? You have a communications background. You like development. You like talking to people. And most importantly, you really care about student athletes because you were one. And you know how impactful and influential. Remember, we said that earlier, impact and influence. You know how impactful and influential your staff members were to you, from the volleyball staff to athletic training to administration everyone. So if you have an opportunity to pay it forward and give back in the ways that you experience as a student athlete, how could you not be a part of something like that? So to me, it was just like, this is another way to fulfill my purpose. 
So as I'm talking to the people at Parker, I'm assessing the opportunity because I have a great job. So I'm not running from Wisconsin and there's nothing worse than coming home and hating that you're home. So I said, I'm not just going to jump at this opportunity because I think it. What did we talk about earlier? I got to make an informed decision. I got to talk to people. I got to research. I got to see what Parker is about. What other searches have they done? Do they have any negative media out there? You know, I'm looking at all this kind of stuff and I'm thinking, you know what? Yeah. Not only do I believe in the brand of Parker, I believe in the brand I can build under Parker. And again, it takes you back to that original purpose of not continuing a legacy, building a legacy. So you are working under Parker, but your brand is Delana Jordan. And that's who you can be now. So that's how all of that really culminates from a student athlete to a professional to switching jobs. Um, that's what it becomes is how are you fulfilling your purpose and how are you moving forward? So even when we talked about student athletes earlier, the other critical skill set that a student athlete has is the ability to bounce back. No matter how hard the day got, you, you know how to go. Not many people know, but in 2020, I was laid off. They laid off five of us from Parker. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh. I have left my job in college athletics to come down to this job here. I now don't have that job. My husband, who is now my who was my boyfriend at the time, has moved with me because he believes in the vision I'm giving him because he has no ties to Atlanta, no ties to the South. He's just like, I love this girl. I believe in her. I'm going to follow her wherever she goes. So now i got people dependent on me. So I'm sitting there during COVID and I'm like, I mean, what you going to do, D? Are you just going to sit here and have no job? Or what are you going to do? So then I moved into healthcare recruitment because I like recruiting. It's a bonus that I get to work in sports. But I was working with physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech language pathologists. Again, Justin, I don't know what any of those positions do, but what I can do is listen really well. So as I'm talking to candidates, I'm having them explain to me what they do. Shorthands, abbreviations, I'm going on Google, I'm Googling them. So then the next call, I'm even stronger. So I'll give you this example. In our job at the old firm that I was at, you know, you're cold calling all day. So people are blowing up your phone. People are agitated by the time they get on the phone, you know, what have you. So I get on the phone and I'm talking to this woman. She's a speech language pathologist. And I said, okay, can you take me through uh, the different, I forget the terminology now, but I was like, can you take me through the different disorders that you have experience working with? And she lets out this really big sigh and she's like, oh, like annoyed. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. We'll work through the call. It's no problem. So she starts to talk about it. She says the second one that she's had exposure to and I stop her. And I said, okay, so the big nine, it sounds like you have experience with the big nine. Even just knowing that terminology, her whole demeanor changed. And she was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, this recruiter actually knows what she's talking about. So she's like, yeah, I do have experience with the big nine. And then we're able to get through the conversation. Now she's interviewing for the job I have. Now she's working for me. Now she's making money for me because I make money when she works. So that's kind of like, you know, what I talk about is I was in a position where I said, you're either going to sink or swim. So I had to focus on doing a really great job. And guess what happened? As soon as things opened back up, Daniel calls me. Would you like to go to lunch? I'm like, yeah, I want to go to lunch. Of course I want to go to lunch. I printed my offer letter at my old job, Justin. I was so excited. Printed it, signed it, scanned it back, emailed it, packed up my stuff, went home, sent that job a letter and said, I quit. See y'all later. Bye. 
because I knew if I just did a good job where I was, if I maintained being a good person, if I stayed disciplined, if I stayed focused on my purpose, it was going to come back to me. And that's why I'm saying as a student athlete, nobody can do that better than a student athlete because you have to do it every day. You have to go out and you have to beat that team or you lose to that team and you got to go back out on Sunday. Absolutely. You got to play them again. And it's like, yeah. what are you going to do? So, you know, that's that's just kind of the beauty of what I do and why I do it and why I want to really peel back the layers so people can understand you have an opportunity to thrive in this space as well. We just got to link up. We got to help each other. We got to move. We got to motivate each other and we got to drop these kind of gems. We got to have real conversations with each other to say, here's how you get to the top. And what I always say is when you can figure it out faster than the other people, that's when your advantage comes in. And the way you do that is that innate curiosity, that ability to listen, and that ability to have attention to detail. Like I said, if I hadn't realized that speech language pathologists had these disorders that they worked with and I had a candidate tell me the big nine, I was like, the big nine? Okay, I'm going to Google that later. If I didn't have that, you know, like I would have missed that. So that's the thing where it's like, no matter what you're doing, when you have that skill set, you'll always be successful because you know how to get better and you know how to motivate yourself to get better. So again, there are people that inspire you to go hard and then there are people that inspire you to get better. Those people that inspire you to get better become the leaders that everyone talks about from generations and generations and generations and generations. That's what they're looking for. They're building that legacy because they're inspiring people to get the best out of them, to build the best department they can. I would just, I got to like, because like, that is it, man. Like, you're like on point with everything that you said, like 100%, because it is, it's, like I said, the Hans Zimmer, like that orchestrated, like, like orchestrated chaos, right? Yeah. Like, and just when we talk about athletes, whether it's coming up in competition, dealing with interpersonal things with teammates, dealing with coaches, and just being within top organizations, right? We talk about seeing transformational, uh, transformational uh, leaders, like, man, I'm play for, I play for great coaches, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. I play for Joe Paterno, different, yeah, I mean, under Mike Tomlin, seeing a lot of different, Oliver Luck, whatever the case may be, like direct underneath them. So you see the different people and like, whether it's working in it as an athlete, you have a, you have a unique like, viewpoint when it comes to talent acquisition and just career development in general. So for ex- like for athletes that may aspire to get into like the executive search industry what are some steps that they can do to accelerate that process or get them on the right track? Because I think a lot of athletes don't even know that that exists, but just some of their innate uh, comforts, I, I think, will lend well in just the talent acquisition and search space. Oh, most definitely. And even, you know, to your point, for example, uh, here at Parker on the sports practice specifically, Daniel only wants to hire student athletes. If you were a student athlete, I mean, quite frankly, he's not really interested in talking to you because he's looking for a specific skill set. He's looking for a specific experience that can allow you to do this job. So to your point, a lot of people don't know that executive search exists because even in my practice or in our practice, rather, we don't post our openings because what happens is people think my job is just going to a bunch of ball games. Yeah. When I was in Chicago, I told you I was on vacation in Chicago. I went to go see my family, but on Friday, I went to Loyola, Chicago. I went to Northwestern. I saw a bunch of people and I was talking to them, you know, doing my business development. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm there. And then the rest of the weekend, you know, I had my fun. I did whatever. But this is not a sexy job. This is not, oh, look at me. I can be Delana Jordan or, oh, look at me. I can be Daniel Parker or Grant Higginson or Taylor Middleton. That's not what this is about. This is about delivering a service. 
So when you talk about how can I get involved with executive search, you have to build a relationship. You have to reach out to me or reach out to Taylor. How I found Taylor, for example, she was a student athlete at Pitt. So I'm sorry, you know, Pitt State Pitt. I'll, I'll hate to throw that out there. I, I live in I live in Pittsburgh. Well, so good. <laughs> so she was a student athlete at Pitt, and then she was at the DeVos program, um, and she was Dr. Richard Labchick's graduate assistant. So as I'm looking through the firm and I'm looking at, okay, well, how do each of us contribute? Grant was a former student athlete, played football at uh, Tulane, but he was also a former football coach, coach at Division One and Division Three. I'm a former student services professional. So I'm a former Olympic student athlete. So we've got revenue, we've got non-revenue, and we've got someone in student services, compliance, athletic training, everything that focuses on the student, that's my background. So when I'm looking for Taylor, how is she going to balance out our practice? Taylor was specifically working in DEI. She worked with the Tides Report. So if you're familiar with that, they put out the statistics of what the hiring metrics are and things of that nature. So she's working in DEI. She's younger. So she's on the social media, the content creation. So she's going to help us modernize. So I'm not looking for someone to apply to a job. I'm looking for someone that's building that network. Because when I started asking around, Taylor's name started coming up. So then I started investigating. Okay, now, wait a minute. I've heard her name a couple times from some different people in very unrelated spaces. So this student athlete may not intentionally be making this network, but she's impressive enough to where people know what she's capable of. So even when I talked about my own story, it's because people poured into me because they knew the potential that I had. So when I say Kimya helped me to get the graduate assistantship uh, position at Michigan State, I had to get that interview. I had to earn that interview myself, but he was able to tell Jim Pignatero, to tell Angela Monti, hey, you guys are looking for a graduate assistant. I got a great student athlete here. She's interested in academic advising. She's done all she needs to do. She's got accepted into grad school. She's taken her GRE. She's on top of it. This is a great opportunity. I think it's a great fit. If Kenya Hanna spoke my name in that room, I may not have had that opportunity. So when you talk about what do student athletes need to be doing, you need to be networking with the staff in your department and you need to just start reaching out to people. I answer LinkedIn messages all the time. I do phone calls all the time because, again, when you look at my LinkedIn or even my bio on Parker, I love pouring into our future leaders of tomorrow. That's what we have to start focusing on is paying it forward. So when a student athlete's interested in it, send me an email. Let's have a conversation. It may not be everything you need to know about search in the first conversation, because again, this is recruitment. I got to know that if I need you during basketball season, last basketball search cycle, we did 12 searches in three weeks. I just told you that normally an athletic director search takes six to eight weeks. I've done everything you need to do in six to eight weeks in 72 hours. If you don't got to giddy up, you can't be here. Because we got to roll. We got things to do. So that's what I'm assessing. It's not just your ability. It's your capability as well. Do you have the potential to be coached? Are you going to take the feedback? Or are you going to make excuses as to why you couldn't get something done? I don't have time for things to not be done. They got to get done by any means necessary. Exactly. Intellect and all that good stuff, man. Like you said, it's like getting always told people like my colleagues or people like coaches, get your name in the whispers. Like at the end of the day, like there's a level, like you said, when that, the person that you were talking about, like their name came up over and over when I was at the league office or different things like that. It's like, Oh, this name comes up. And like you said, it just kind of pops up and like the connected to different people. And next thing you know, you kind of wrap around the industry, but you have to be doing good work. Right. It's always Correct. a thing. Like you can have the, the megaphone. Hey, Hey, I'm great. I'm great. But you have to actually have some, 
Yeah, that the results. Once you start, yes, you have yes. to have results. Some evidence of impact, as I like to say. Like, I you know, do like that evidence of impact. So when I steal that, no, I got it from you. <laughs> no doubt, I'm still an engage, empower, and elevate. I mean, I say a little bit of that, but that's that's hey, respect, respect. So he's done so much in your career, and I mean, this has been like awesome. I mean, I'm a talent acquisition, career development geek as well. So it's everything you've been saying is like on point. So what's your career end goal? Now, come on, Justin, why you had, why you had to throw that one out there? <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. And the reason why I say that is because when I first started working at Parker and I would meet people and they would send you a thank you note. And before it would be, Delena, you can be really good at this job. You're going to be really great at this job. Now, when I get thank you letters, it's you can be great at anything you do. And I was just talking to my husband about that. And I said, why, why do you think it's shifted from you can be really good at this job to now you can be good at whatever you do? And AJ was like, Delena, is that even a question? Anything that you have set your mind to, you have done. There are things you have never heard of. Volleyball. I heard of volleyball. Never played it before. 16. Guess what? I'm getting a scholarship. Now I'm at UCF. Okay, I want to be a graduate assistant. How am I going to do that? How am I going to get this graduate degree paid for? Okay, boom, I get the Michigan State job. All right, now I got the Michigan State experience. Where can I really take my talents to the next level? Boom, I get the Wisconsin job. Okay, great. Now, to your point, I don't even know about executive search. I learn about it. Boom, now I'm a top, you know, search consultant. So from that perspective, I think, you know, I really love what we're doing here at Parker. I believe in what we're doing. I love the autonomy that leadership is giving me to be able to do stuff like this. I'm not micromanaged. It's not, oh, Delana, we don't know Justin, so you can't do that podcast. You do whatever you want to do, Delana. You spend your time however you want to spend your time. (laughs) So that's really important. Daniel always tells me that that's what we're aspiring to work towards is autonomy. And it's interesting because when I told you about Ken Miles and I had to develop my values, one of my values was not really a value, it was my overarching value. But my overarching value was choice. Because no matter what kind of situation you're in, if you don't have the ability to make a choice, then you really didn't have the ability to make a decision. So when you have leadership that's reinforcing the same things that you believe in, and you wanna build a legacy, and you are a loyal person, and they were shooting with you when you was in the gym, that's a place you wanna stay. So from that perspective, I don't know what my end goal is. I would like to get into more strategic consulting. I would like to, you know, get into more organizational development. I want to start helping athletic directors really build out teams because that's what I like to do. My undergraduate degree was actually in human communication and I specialized in team dynamics and conflict management. When I switched from broadcast journalism, I picked that. I just randomly picked it, but um, it ended up being really good. Um, or I really, I was really, uh, really liked it. So from that perspective, I just want to do more. I want to give back more. I want to help provide more opportunities to people. I want to give them the inside look into what this business entails and how you can still be successful. So my end goal is just to be able to look back on my career and actually be able to look at the impact that I had. And I do that in my representation. So, you know, I, I switched my shirt because I want to be able to show my ink. Uh, my nose is pierced. You know, I'm a different kind of person. I'm 6'1". I'm a different kind of woman. You know what I'm saying? So I'm about representation. I'm about bringing people in. But more importantly, I'm about leading by example. So when you ask me what my end goal is, my end goal is how did I inspire people? How did I give them the confidence to say exactly what Delane is doing? I can go out there and do it as well. Because people ask me that all the time. How are you 29 doing this? 
Right. How are you 29 discovering this is what you want to do? How are you 29 developing passion and purpose and being able to tell it to people? It's because I truly believe in it. So whatever my end goal is, it's, I hope it comes back to she was a great impactor. She was a great influencer. Love it. Thank you so much, man. The gems that you dropped in this throughout this whole episode have been great. And like you said it from the jump, man, staying confident and knowing yourself throughout the process, the decisions that you make and like to an extent doubling down on what you believe. Like when you say like your purpose and how you want to go through and serving, to be completely honest, serving your candidates and serving your clients like both ways and like yes. helping the whole ecosystem rise uh all tides rise the boats, right? And then like from the standpoint of engage, empower, and elevate. I love that because it's just a standpoint of like when you're building networks, whether you're black professional, white professional, whatever, green, purple, whatever the case may be, those are different tactical things that you can use to continue to move up in your career. And as an Mm -hmm. athlete, you know, she was dominant on the uh, volleyball court and making those transitions and finding those innate traits that she can have and and find her purpose in her uh our mission and then like and coaches administrators and everybody that's going through the process that deal with um the talent acquisition process that are worrying about those next steps and then listening to the uh the conversation and interview because delana dropped some major nuggets on how you need to approach this this game and that you need to put proof to the pudding when you're going out there and put yourself out there a little bit to kind of to be noticed and the athletes that are going through the process understand that you have a critical view and engage with those people that are at your schools and and do your research when you're going through this process because there's a yes critical opportunity that you guys have to you know use sports as a catalyst to a career that you can bank on when you get a chance like and subscribe this video download the checklist and the call to action when we get off that all the links are at the bottom and delana thank you so much from parker search firm you guys are going to be busy I, i'm pretty sure in uh Yes, we will be. But before we sign off, Justin, I cannot thank you enough for having me on here. The relationship we've been able to develop, just like I said, just kicking it real. That's what we've always talked about from the beginning is just being real, keeping it a hundred. So however I can always help you or help anyone in the audience, please reach out to me. All of my information is available online. Use Google Delayed Jordan, Parker Search, email, phone number, everything's up there. So, you know, just let me know how I can help. Most definitely. And I'll have all our information on that at the bottom of the, in the bio and all this good stuff. So thank you again, Delana, for stopping past the Blue Chip Academy Blueprints of Success interview series. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.